Brothers and sisters, hear now the good news. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined you to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on you in his beloved Son. In him you have redemption through his shed blood, the forgiveness of your trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon you. So brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. The reading of God's word this morning begins in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Then King Hezekiah rose early and assembled the princes of the city and went up to the house of Yahweh. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, the sanctuary, and Judah. And he ordered the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of Yahweh. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. They also slaughtered the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They slaughtered the lambs also and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought the male goats of the sin offering before the king in the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests slaughtered them and purged the altar with their blood to atone for all Israel. For the king ordered the burnt offering and the sin offering for all Israel. He then stationed the Levites in the house of Yahweh with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres, according to the command of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet. For the command was from Yahweh through his prophets. And the Levites stood with the musical instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar, when the burnt offering began, the song to Yahweh also began with the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. When the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and all who were present with him bowed down and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to Yahweh with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to Yahweh, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of Yahweh. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all those who were willing brought burnt offerings. And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to Yahweh. And the consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few so that they were unable to skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was completed and until the other priests had consecrated themselves. For the Levites were more conscientious to consecrate themselves than the priests. And there were also many burnt offerings with the fat of the peace offerings and with the libations for the burnt offerings. Thus, the service of the house of Yahweh was established again. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing came about suddenly. We'll turn now to Hebrews chapter 2 and begin in verse 1. <clears throat> for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how much shall we, or how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also bearing witness with them, 
both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that thou rememberest him, or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor and hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who had been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, and that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, from which reason, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will sing thy praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Let's turn now to the back of your bulletin and read together as a congregation Psalm 67 verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Last week, Charlie asked me not to use him in examples. And uh, I've been teaching about forgiveness, and I owe him for a few things from my youth. When I was uh, 14, for those of you who know me, I was a shy, underwhelming, chubby boy. I've turned into all that you see now. <laughs> and uh, I mumbled. I, I still mumble. Uh, not usually from the pulpit, but I, I fall into this habit of my youth. Well, uh, this was a youth group session, and we were singing... And Charlie told me after we were singing one time, he said, you sound awful. <laughs> Which was true. I, I did. I would sing, uh, and this is particularly true frequently of, of young guys, you, you sing a very low note, and it's very monotone, so you can't follow the, the music up and down. And I, I did that with gusto at the time. Well... I took it to heart. I've tried to improve. Uh, I'm not great, but I do sing loud and 
at least 80% of the time it's in tune. I have noticed that the Kimmerlings have settled down in front of us. Before that, there was a, uh, some rotation of people trying to escape because there's a lot of volume. Well, the message today is about singing. And I want to encourage us in this endeavor and that God calls us to sing. It, it's a command, and it's not a command that's singular. It's repeated at least 50 times in both Old and New Testaments. It's repeated with some admonition, some encouragement. Not all of us are particularly gifted in this area, but still, it's a command. We're to sing with one, point, one, one voice. And in the book of Colossians, as Paul writes to this church, and he's been writing to them, Jew and Gentile, that God has broken down the barrier, the dividing wall. He's bringing them into a body, one body, one new man. And he's been encouraging them in, in that one new man to put on clothes of righteousness in which they're filled with, with meekness and tenderheartedness towards, towards one another. They're full of forgiveness and love. And right at the end of that, he puts this admonition to sing. And usually, we think about singing, it's, it's part of worship, it's a good thing, but it's relatively far down the list of what we think of as godly attributes. And yet, God calls us, He commands us to sing. So we're going to work through chapter 3, verse 16, phrase by phrase, word by word this morning. That's the, we're, I didn't have to make an outline because we're just going to go one at a time. Right, right in order. But as, as we prepare for that, I just want to remind you that in, in this epistle, Paul is he's calling this young church, he's warning them, and he's calling them to, to be filled with the knowledge of God, to be filled with this knowledge that God has gifted them. He says that all the treasures of the wisdom of God have been opened up to you, Jew and Gentile, not, not through the prescription of, of the Old Testament temple, not through circumcision, but in Christ. And he summarizes it then in, in that verse in the center of chapter 3 where he says, Christ is all and Christ is in all. Christ is, as he says in chapter 1, verse 27, Christ is in you the hope of glory. This is our trajectory. This is what we're aiming for. This is the gift that God has given us, that Christ, the anointed man, who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is our hope. We look to Him and we see what we're becoming, what God has given us. And the fullness of that gift is sitting at the right hand of God proclaiming to us, this is who God made you to be. And so remember then as we begin chapter 3, I'm going to read it one last time. This is God's call to us. Having been circumcised, having been brought from death into life as a new man, if you have been raised up with Christ, chapter 3, verse 1, keep seeking the above things, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those above things, not on the things of earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory." The original recipients of that, this letter, they've received that promise. Therefore, put to death your limbs on earth, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. It's on account of these things that the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience, and then in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, harmful words from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old man with his practices and you've put on the new man who is being made new in a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him in which there is no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised, no uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free man, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and loved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And on all these, love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ 
arbitrate in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If you would bow and pray with me. Father, we come to your word and we ask that you would speak to us through the one who is the word, Jesus. Lord, open our ears and help us to understand all that you've given us, all that you call us to, and then to walk in it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So remember, verses 15, 16, and 17, we have these three commands. Let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts. Let the word of of Christ richly dwell within you. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So last week we talked about peace, and this week we're, we're moving on to this command to let the word of Christ dwell in you. And it, uh, b- before, we, before we dig into this verse, and I, I have a lot of comments on this verse, so we'll, we'll take a while at it. I want you to turn back to Hebrews. Hyde read for us chapter 2. This is, as you're probably figuring out, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And remember, in Hebrews chapter 2, he quotes from Psalm 8. He quotes about man. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You've made him a little lower than angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor. And he says, we don't yet see all things subjected to him, but we do see him who has been made a little lower than the angels, Jesus, because of the suffering and death crowned with glory and honor. So we see that that promise... That promise recorded in the song of Psalm 8 has been given to Jesus. He's been crowned with glory and honor. So he's raced on ahead of us, as the the author says at the end of this book. The author and the perfect of our faith has gone on ahead. He's been crowned with glory and honor. And the purpose of that is so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And I want you to look at, at verse 10. It's fitting for him. For whom are all things, through whom are all things. It starts to sound an awful lot like Colossians chapter 1. This Jesus who, who created us and who is reconciling us, it's by him, through him, for him, or to him. It's fitting that this one, for whom are all things, through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to mature, perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. So you see the trajectory from the promise of Psalm 8 that God is, God is lifting up, elevating man, is fulfilled in Jesus first, crowned with glory and honor, and now he's bringing many sons after him to this fulfilled promise of glory. And it's fitting that the way that, that God does this is by perfecting the author, the prince, the leader of their salvation through suffering. So the way that that Jesus leads the many sons to glory is through the suffering of death, through death into resurrection at the right hand of God. He's leading us that way. And when it says that he might taste death for everyone, now that has a, a certain connotation, but he's still leading us then through death. Following, uh, we're, we're following after him. He's, he's the one who's first. Remember what Paul says in Colossians. He's the first, he's the head, he's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, meaning there's many more to follow. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies, that just means he who makes holy or who who draws into the presence of God, we're called saints because Jesus calls us holy. He brings us into the house of God. Both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that's us, are all from one for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. It's interesting where the author of the Hebrews goes with this. Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, is bringing many sons to glory. And as he goes, he makes this comment that step one, he brings us into the house of God. So that, that, that's step one in being moved unto glory. He makes us holy. You can't receive glory apart from God, the God of glory. 
But then he makes this comment that the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified share something. They're all from one. And therefore, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. We don't dwell a lot on the brotherhood of our Savior, on the fact that Jesus is our brother. But if you look at verse 12, his proof text, so he's quoting here out of Psalm 22, and he says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Remember Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus sings it on the cross. It's initially a solo, but as we look through death into life, resurrection, and glory, there is a second half to the psalm in which he sings amidst us and with us. So that by the time you get to the end of the book of Hebrews, the author has told us then that we have a new sacrifice of praise. We're called through him, through this Jesus, who sings. He sang Psalm 22. He sang it on the cross, through death, into life, into glory, and he calls us through him. That means Jesus sings first. He's the choir master, the director, the leader. Through him, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips. Or if you're looking at the Old Testament reference, the calves of our lips, and give thanks to his name. So Jesus, and I've made this point before, Jesus is, is welcoming us in Psalm 22 to be part of his vow of thanksgiving so that it's fulfilled in and through us. And Jesus sings to God today the praise of the resurrection and the glory that was given to him at the cross through us. It puts you in a different frame of mind when, we, when we're singing, that we're singing on behalf of, for, with Christ unto God the Father. We fulfill his vow, and mysteriously, in so doing, Jesus, the one who was crowned with glory and honor through suffering and death, is bringing many sons to glory. For those of you who are studying Revelation, it should remind you then, as you move forward in Revelation, you, you move into song, so that the heavens are filled. The 144,000 in Revelation 14 sing a song that no one else could learn. Jesus is leading them, and that, that song, by the way, is for the martyrs. They're leading through death into life, and they're going to be raised up with him so that by the time you get to the, the end of that section in Revelation, they're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and they sing together then the glory of God. Okay, back to Colossians. This Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers He's not ashamed to sing with us, to lead us in song. He comes to our aid as we sing. And he's working then in us towards the completeness of glory that God has promised to us. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says then specifically, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to God. So the way that this command is fulfilled, it's fulfilled in song. So there's a command, let the word of Christ dwell within you. And then there's modifiers, in all wisdom, and then participles, how you do it, teaching and admonishing one another, but then there's a surprise twist that's accomplished by singing. So beginning then at the first phrase, the word of Christ. When I was reading through this this week, I, I passed over that phrase. Yeah, we need to know that we're talking about, about the word. And when a preacher speaks, there's there's throwaway phrases, there's filler, it gets discarded, your mind's discarded. But when God speaks, there's no throwaway phrases. The word of Christ, it, it seems like it would be all over the place in the Bible, but in fact it's not. This phrase, the word of Christ, is only repeated one other time in Romans chapter 10. Usually we talk about the word, the word of the Lord Jesus, the word of God, 
But specifically here, Paul calls out to us and he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. There's an emphasis in this epistle as, as Paul is calling to the church on Jesus as Christ. Remember the confession of the church is Jesus is Christ and Lord. He told us that in chapter 2. That this Jesus is Christ and Lord. And the, the Lord part of it is translated in the Septuagint as, as, as the translation then of Yahweh, so God's name, Jesus as God. But Christ, if you recall, means the anointed one. It's his fulfilled role as a man. So Jesus, the anointed one, the man, this word Paul calls us to dwell in us. The word of Jesus, the anointed man. As the anointed man, he fulfills, of course, the Old Testament offices of, of priest and king and prophet, and he speaks to us. And I, I, I draw that out now, and it's going to come back to us in, in the end. But Jesus, as the anointed man, shares his word with us. And you remember we went through the Psalms and we made the point, and I hold to it, that Jesus is the singer of those Psalms. They're written by David, they're written by Solomon and the sons of Asaph, but Jesus is the one in the end who takes those songs and they're his as the fulfilled anointed one. So you look at who writes them, they're, they're the officers of, of Israel, the kings, the priests, the prophets, they write those songs, but Jesus is the fulfillment of that anointed man who fulfills each office, and as he does so, he takes up those songs specifically. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a minute. So as we move forward then, let the word of Christ, and I want to deal with uh, the verb first, dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell within you. It's been used two times in this epistle so far. So in Colossians chapter 1, Verse 19, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, in, in Christ, the anointed one. And in chapter 2, verse 9, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in body. So remember, our, our problem as mankind is in the flesh of the body, God coming to dwell in us, and Paul is, is reminding us that God has dwelt in bodily form in the person of Jesus. This is, this is what God is calling us to. So now, as we come to the end of the epistle, we've had our, our eyes set on Jesus, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells while he's in a body. And we're commanded then to let the word of Christ dwell in us. So as we look forward then to the, the fullness of the hope of glory, this is the path that Paul wants us to take. The word of the anointed one is to dwell within us, to make a home within us. What does that mean? As we think about singing, and that's the way that this command then is fulfilled, as we think about singing, God's word dwells within us and it's moved in the, from the old to the new, from tablets of stone to he places it on our heart. I don't know if you ever thought about how God does that. In the parallel passages in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit does the filling and, and fills us up. So he's both the, the filler and the filled, and, but what he fills us with then is this word. And one of the ways that he does that, maybe even the primary way that he does that, is in song. Those of you little kids will remember this. You all were once a little kid, and you learned by song. Songs help us memorize. That's the way God made us. We're creatures of song. That's the way God made the entire earth. He reads Psalm 148 
And all of the earth is made to praise God in song so that the trees sing and the waters sing and the birds of the heavens, they sing of the glory of God. And our purpose then in eternity future is unto this, to sing. In God's grace, he uses this vessel in which we come with his words. Remember, it's the words of Christ, not just our own words, but the words of the anointed one. They dwell in us, they abide within us, make their home within us as we obey this command to sing. There's some interesting things about song in that God didn't give us the tunes to sing his word to. He didn't record those for us. So there is, there, there is an adorning of God's word with song in which we have to take up the word and work in making it even more glorious by putting it to music. And as we do that and we respond to God with his own words and song, God makes this command happen. The word of Christ dwells within us. All the way back to Deuteronomy 31, God gave the blessings and the cursings to Israel and then he told Moses to write out a song. And Moses wrote a song, and it's a, it's a very long song. So it'd be one that some of you might complain about as you had to sing it. We're going to put those complaints to death. And he says at the end of it that, that the purpose is to remind them. So it's, it's, it's not just our conjecture or the psychologists who tell us that singing makes, makes us remember. God says it told Moses, write this song, and, and, and as it's embedded then in the sons of Israel, they will remember. And particularly there in De- Deuteronomy 30 and 31, he's telling them what's going to happen. You're going to fall away. But here's the song. Remember this song, and you will remember to turn to the Holy One. And God will bring to fruition his promises as they remember. Now, for some of you oddballs, maybe you feel like singing doesn't do this, but all of us, songs, you hear a tune and it evokes words. One word will come after another word, and they're like a, a string that you didn't even know where it came from. Advertisements that you heard 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they'll still come out of your mouth even when you can't remember what you ate for dinner or, you know, what, what your name is. You go to the dementia ward, they can still sing songs. So uh, Kevin prayed for all of the older people. Well, this is coming. Don't worry, though. When the song is embedded in you, it will come out. And it's interesting to think that The command is let the word of Christ dwell in you, but the way that it's accomplished is as it comes out of you. As the words come out of your mouth, God makes that word, the word of the anointed one, dwell within us. We'll have more to say about that, but it's not just a singular within us. It's a plural, all of us together. So we'll we'll get to that in just a second. But music evokes words. The, The other way is true too. God gave his words And the word evokes music. If you look at your Bible, a significant portion of it is written in poetry. You you can see it. The the prose will stretch from side to side. The poetry, you're going to see it singulated in, in lines. And we forget that much of that is made to sing. It's all made to sing. As we study those words, and I'll have some more comments on that, the very way that God writes it, the way that he outlines his word, it teaches us then how to write music. Not specifics, and I'm no great musician. I used to be able to play a couple instruments very poorly, and now I can do nothing. So apparently that ability doesn't stick with you. But I still can read music. Okay, so moving on then in our... Our outline, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And then there's, there's an adverb, a modifier. It's to dwell richly within you. 
So part of this command then, he says richly. Well, what does it mean, richly? If you, if you go look up references, there's, there's one in 1 Timothy 6.17, one in Titus 3.6, but there's two in the noun form in the book of Colossians. So I want to look at those briefly. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. God willed to make known the riches of his glory, the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember, and Paul is, is drawing all of these words together. For those of you who had trouble in Colossians 1 and 2, he's pulling all of that theology now into each of these verses. They're, they're laden with the words that he's already given us. So we have this picture painted in our minds in which God has given us, the Gentiles who were apart from the law, who were excluded by the law, he's given us the riches of his glory. The full treasure of his wisdom and knowledge is given to us. He says something similar in chapter 2, verse 2. So Paul's purpose then, he's working so that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, a true knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. So again, you see riches. It's this noun form of, of riches, the, the wealth, the riches that come from the fullness of understanding Christ. So Jesus, the anointed one, has been given to us, and he's been given to us richly in entirety. If you recall, all the way back then, we said that the, the image Paul is evoking is of, of opening up the treasures of the temple that all the kings of the world wanted. They tried to take them, but they, they took the gold and silver, but didn't receive all the treasure. We have been given now in Christ the fullness of the treasure that was in the Ark of the Covenant, God's, God's word, God's authority, God's blessing. This word riches, though, as we consider how the word of Christ is to dwell in us, among us, in song, is to do so richly. And, and I think that has at least two implications. It has the implication of abundance. So riches are not impoverished. It's, you know, deep thoughts. It doesn't mean there's a scarcity. There's an abundance of God's word dwelling in us in song. So that means there should be a lot of song. The second thing about riches is there is a depth to them. They're valuable. So there, there's an aspect then of profundity to the way that God's word is to dwell within us. So that, that, that means that we have to mature from, from phrases of God's word from a scarcity of God's word to an abundance and a depth of God's word in song. And all that will make sense in just a minute when we come to the middle of the verse. And he says that the way this is to happen is with wisdom, and not just any wisdom, but with all wisdom. Hopefully somebody here has all that wisdom. Jesus, as the, the, the music leader, the choir master, he's the possessor of wisdom, and he gifts it to us. But when Paul says that the word of, of Christ is to dwell richly within us with all wisdom, that also has implications for us. Again, I want to draw your mind backward to a sermon from many, many months ago now, in which we, we looked at what the word wisdom entails in the book of Colossians, all the way back from chapter 1, when Paul encourages us, he prays for his, the, the people of the church to be filled with knowledge, the knowledge of his will, and there was a modifier there, there in all spiritual wisdom, so spirit-given wisdom and understanding. And we looked up that phrase and we found it in three different places. In Exodus, in, in, the, um, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 14, and in Isaiah 11, 2. And in each case, the phrase, it, the, the, the spiritual wisdom and understanding 
was given to temple builders. First, um, first uh, uh, Bezalel and um, Aholiab, and then Hiram of Tyre, so in the building of the tabernacle in Exodus, in the building of the temple in 1 Kings, and then Isaiah 11, it's talking directly about Jesus, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So we read through those passages, and there's, there's a depth of meaning there in that God is calling us through Christ to build onto the house of his people, onto the kingdom of his people, but particularly we're to do that in spiritual understanding and wisdom. If you read through those passages, I encourage you to go back through them. That's Exodus 35, 31, and 32. 1 Kings 7, 14, God appointed men who were skilled. And the word wisdom, well, it means you have skill. The skill to apply the knowledge. So uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, Hiram, they had to have the skill, the skill of building all the ornate things that God commanded. He told them to do it. But they had to have that skill, otherwise it would be impossible for obedience to follow. When Paul tells us that the word of Christ is to dwell within us richly with all wisdom, it means with skill. Now, another profound thought. When there's a requirement of skillful wisdom, that means that it can't be unskilled and still be obedient. Well, what does that mean? It takes work to grow in skill. As we look to obey what Paul tells us here, singing well, it's not something that we should expect to come easy. Let me cast that in a different light. In 1 Chronicles 21-24, David is buying the site of Moriah to make an offering. And he says, I will not offer that which costs me nothing. Remember that as we come to the Lord with the sacrifice of praise on our lips, it is a sacrifice. That means that it, it costs. It should cost us something. It's a, a, a near bringing to the Lord in which we present an offering of praise. Sometimes when we think about singing, we expect and we talk like Aaron Remember when he made the golden calf his excuse? He said, well, I, I, I took all this stuff and I threw it in the fire and out popped this calf. And sometimes we, we approach our worship like that, in which, yeah, we, we've got all this stuff and I, I have some skill. Some of us have some skill, some of us don't. This isn't a judgment by you, on you, by the way, if, if, if you don't sing well. This is an encouragement. and We'll, we'll come to the encouragement in a minute. But sometimes we approach singing like that as if it's just supposed to, to well out of us instead of working on it because it's a sacrifice of praise to the holy God. So there's a second implication here. If it involves wisdom, skillful wisdom, then that means that there is good and bad. So Charlie, when he said I sounded awful, he was right. I didn't sing well. We, we use the phrase beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and there's some truth in it, but absolutely it's only true if the beholder is God or the one who's taught by God. God teaches us to judge what's beautiful what's skillful, what's wise. And we do that by, by his word. And so, interestingly, as we began this epistle in which there's this cycle of growing in wisdom, being filled with the knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding, and then you obey, and then you grow in more knowledge, the same thing is true as we put this verse to, into application. We don't come with all of the skills. But as we obey then we ought to expect we'll grow in skill. All right. 
Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So this, this word dwelling in us, or we'll get to singing in just a second, but one of, the, one of the things it does, as we sing to God, as Jesus praises God in the midst of the congregation in Psalm 22, his very praise teaches and admonishes that congregation. When Jesus sings of the resurrection that God will accomplish at the end of Psalm 22, and he, and he, he feeds us with that, it teaches and admonishes us. So too, when we come together with one voice and we lift up the word of God on our lips, and by the way, this is how we grow in, in unity. It's one time we'll all agree when we all sing together with the words of Christ. We're also teaching and admonishing one another. So as we sing, we sing the words of Christ and we sing and we listen. Those two words are, are close in meaning. So teaching is the, the idea of instruction. So we're not all called to be teachers, but we all do teach as the word of God, as the word of Christ comes out of us in song. Admonish is slightly different. It means to, to put in the mind. And so frequently we, we have the connotation then of, of reminding or warning. So you have, have the word of Christ as we sing it to one another. We hear it and we're instructed in it. And we're also reminded of it. So the things we already know are put back in our mind and we're reminded and warned as we move forward. And the reason that this is so important, and as I'm going to argue that it's important that we sing the word of Christ as, as close to what he said and, and growing in closeness, is because we don't know all of the depth of what God has taught us in his word yet. He's teaching us more. And so as we sing back his words and life changes and God brings us in new circumstances and he teaches us more, that word embedded on our lips that comes out towards one another, towards God, it will teach us again. And we'll see a new depth, a new level of encouragement, new joy in the midst of mourning as those words come out of our lips. Back in chapter 1, verse 28, there's this giant inclusio. So the words teaching and admonishing, so all of this, verse, chapter 3, verse 16, points back to that small section in which Paul proclaims his purpose, that he's going to do his share in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions in proclaiming the word of God and the hope of glory. And then in verse 28, he says, this is, this is our purpose. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man. So we admonish all, we teach all, and notice the words are flipped in order from chapter 3, verse 16. So this is what Paul is up to. We admonish and we teach in, in, our, in our bodies, in our words, every man in all wisdom, with the skill that comes from knowing God's word, so that we may present every man complete, all the way to the end. Paul says that's his purpose, and then in chapter 3, as we're putting on the clothing of this new man, he calls us to share in that purpose. And one of the ways that God does it is as we sing to him. We're teaching and admonishing like Paul, admonishing and teaching. And so one of the purposes is that's fulfilled is this is the work, this is part of that work of presenting every man complete bringing us all through to the end. We remember we're runners in a race and we're encouraging each other at long and one of the ways that that works out functionally, whether you can see it or not, trust in God. This is what he calls us to. We're bringing one another into maturity by singing. Puts a lot of weight on the song, doesn't it? Now, a second implication of that because the word of Christ is to dwell richly, abundantly, deeply in us, in wisdom, that means that if it's to hold teaching, admonishment, praise to God all at the same time, there's a certain level of weight that comes to hold all of that in, in music, 
It's not simple. The, the fullness of God's word is to dwell within us and come out of our lips. That means a lot of music. A lot of weight in music. Running out of time here. So then he gives specifics. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with three things. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And people, teachers, commentators, they disagree about what these words are pointing to. In the Septuagint, at the beginning of the psalm, it's, it's relabeled verse 1, there, there's a description of that psalm. This is a psalm of David, a, a psalm, a hymn, an ode. There's two psalms, and by the way, let me just remind you, most of the New Testament writers, when they quote, they quote out of that Septuagint. So there's two psalms that take all three, these three words together. They're called, uh, among hymns, a psalm, a spiritual song, an, an, an ode. And those two psalms are Psalm 67 and Psalm 76. Now scattered throughout the rest of them, you'll see them called psalms, you'll see them called songs in, in, in those inscriptions. So I would take it to mean that Paul is, Paul is pulling our minds back then, primarily to the Psalter, but of course those aren't the only songs in Scripture. But that's, that's where we begin. Those two psalms, those two psalms are, are uh, temple psalms, and interestingly, both of them have the outcome that the nations are coming in. So Psalm 67, we have the uh, the benediction of Aaron, let your face shine upon us. And then as, as the psalm closes, he says, that your way may be known on the earth, that your salvation may be known among all the Gentiles, all, all the nations. So let the nations be glad and sing for joy. So as Paul is thinking about Jew and Gentile brought together, and he's calling them to the, the peace, the meekness, the humility, the love for one another of this one new man, the anointed one who is all and is in all, he, he pulls our mind back then to this psalm in which God has already said this is what he's up to. He's going to bless the world through the descendant of David so that his way would be known on all the earth, so that his salvation would be known among the Gentiles, so that the nations would be glad and sing for joy. By the time we get to the epistle of Colossians, Paul, God has already brought his purposes. He's, he's bringing them so far forward. And so he commands us then to sing. This doesn't mean that we're called exclusively to sing psalms. Even if you, if you look at that reference back to Psalm 67, Psalm 76. But there's where we learn what kind of song is pleasing to the Lord. Remember, uh, Cain brought his offering and God didn't accept it. So we, we can bring an offering to the Lord which is unacceptable to him in song. So how do we know? How do, how do we learn what's acceptable? Well, first, of course, we have to come through the blood of Christ. We can't divorce song and come with a hardness of heart. God doesn't want it. The, the, the burnt offerings, the peace offerings in which the songs are attached to, remember Psalm 40, Hebrews chapter 10, 1 Samuel chapter 14, 15, God doesn't want your burnt offerings and your peace offerings if you come with a guilty, hardened heart. We first must set aside our sin, confess it fully, absolutely, receive forgiveness, and then we come and we sing with the fullness of joy, speaking God's words back to Him. And He teaches us then the full range of what He wants to hear. And it's in learning those songs that we can begin to make new songs. We generally, at least in our generation, we started the other way around. We make the new songs first, and then we learn the songs in God's Word. I want to encourage us then, we need to study, know those psalms. There was a day in the church in which God's people knew all of them. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our children knew all of the psalms? If they came out of their, their mouths, you sang a tune, and the next words of the psalm just 
flowed out because God prepares us in them. God is praised by them. And we don't know what circumstances God is bringing in our life whereby we need those words of how to approach God in grief, in, even in anger and in joy, how to rightly come before our Maker and talk to Him and sing to Him. And that's what those songs do for us. Got to move on. We're called to do all of this, singing with grace in our hearts to God. So that word grace, uh, it's translated thankfulness in the NASB. It has the connotation of thankfulness, but the root that's translated here is grace. We've been saved by the grace of God, His favor upon us. And it's translated thankfulness because in the string of three, these three verses, each one of them ends then with this command to thankfulness. We're supposed to respond in thankfulness. As God's Word is rooted in us, as it's built up, as it's established in us, it ought to cause an overflow of, of thankfulness. Well, how do we sing with grace in our hearts to God? What about, what about when you don't like it? Not all of you get choices, exactly. So some of the, some of the songs you, you won't appreciate, at least the tunes. Hopefully not the words. God calls us then to dwell on His favor to us, the grace to us, and there's a response then of grace within us so that it produces an overflow of thanksgiving in our hearts. And when we don't feel like it, this is what God calls us to do. Persuade your heart. Because it's God's command to us to sing. Sing with all of you. Now, there's going to be a variety of opinions in this body about songs. So some of you won't like a certain set and a very different some of you won't like the other set. Put that aside because we're called in peace to sing together. One song to God, starting from His Word, and we want to grow then in singing as one. Now we all start off with different amounts of skill. God has gifted some of us with great skill in music and others of us without a lot of skill in music but the call to all of us because this is a one another command let the word of Christ richly dwell within you all of you teaching and admonishing one another all of us are called to this command not just the gifted not just the skillful but all of us are called then to obey and to grow in that skill and those who are especially skillful whom God has set aside well, they then have the responsibility of helping the rest of us grow in our skill. So I want to encourage us then as a body to put our heart to this because it's not a tangential part of this new man. It's not, it's not just, you know, be righteous, be holy, be at peace, be filled with love and sing. God is making us raising us up to the hope of glory that he's planted within us as we sing with Christ. Now finally, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That means that as we sing, as we sing to God and one another listens and we're taught and we're admonished in that same song, we're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We bear his name on a banner as we sing. So be careful how you sing. Be careful how we play. Because we're to do it in a way that pleases God. With no bitterness in our hearts. With, with lament that turns into joy. We sing. Now if you go look up that phrase, in the name of. So in the name of God. There, there's again, the three offices of Israel, they conduct in the name of of Yahweh. So priests, they stand and serve in the name of Yahweh. They offer their, their sacrifices and gifts in his name. They bear his name before the people in the offering. They bless in the name of, of the Lord. The king, he also 
He bears his authority as a representative in the name of Yahweh. He blesses the people in 2 Samuel 6 in the name of Yahweh. He goes out to battle in the name of Yahweh. The prophets, they speak in the name of Yahweh and we're commanded then in the Old Testament to receive it as if from God. And now, we as the one people of God have received this command to proclaim, to speak God's word in song to one another in his name. Remember I said that it's the word of the anointed man, the one who fulfills all of those offices, bearing the name of Yahweh. He, he then pulls us in. We're part of the anointed one. We share in his anointing, and he's pulling us along after him, many sons being brought to glory. And so there is a priestly, kingly, and prophetic aspect to our song. And you, you can go back and look in the Old Testament Priests sing, so we studied it in Second Chronicles, you read it in Second Chronicles 29. As, as the burnt offering and the peace offering are given, the sound and the smoke ascend together, and they're transfigured, that the music was a uniting of the people, and in every establishment, uh, we'd call it a revival, God's people revived in song. Music in the Old Testament was kingly. As the king leads the people out to battle, he puts the, the singers at front, up front, and they sing. They sing before the Lord, and as they do so, God is pleased to grant victory. Singing is prophetic, and that when the, prophets, uh, when the prophets needed to prophesy, 2 Kings 3, Elisha calls for a min minstrel to sing to him, and, and he prophesies. In 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1, they prophesied, with instruments of music. So in song, they ascended into the heavens. They talked with God, and they brought the word back from God. In song, Peter in Acts chapter 16, he sings in, in the midst of the prison. And, and as God comes in the form of an earthquake, then the jailer is saved. So singing is evangelical. It reaches beyond these, these walls. When we sing to God, God is pleased for his name to be proclaimed. Now, this isn't magical as if we can somehow control God if we sing just well enough. Instead, we should look at it the other way. God commands us. He commands us, come before me with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, in wisdom, with a richness so that the word of God may dwell in you, coming out of you. So singing is a one anothering, one another action. One anothering action. That means that we're all included in this command, regardless of the quality of our voice. We're called to improve, to grow in skill, and that means that we want our children to be better than us. So I'd encourage parents teach your children music, even if you don't know it, so that. In 20 years, in 30 years, in 40 years, in 50 years, the congregation of God's people will, will be rich, abundant in the songs of God. Amen. And we want, we want those words to dwell on our children's lips, perhaps in a way that they didn't dwell on our lips. It's a blessing. If you want your children to remain true to God's word, Deuteronomy 31, teach it to them in song, and when they stumble, it will well up out of their heart. These songs, they ought to teach us how to write music. We are called the fullness of the one who fills. So God is filling us with his spirit, and he's, he's filling us as Jesus was filled, so that that word dwells in us, amongst us, and it comes out of us. And we need to consider, then, as we look forward, what does God want to receive from us? Now, that, that's going to take time, because remember, Paul teaches us, you grow in knowledge, you obey and are pleasing, and you're given more knowledge. If we don't start with obedience, we won't gain more knowledge in what God calls us to in how to come before Him. 
you would stand and hear this admonition. You are priests. You're given to serve in the house of God, in the house of Yahweh, acceptable sacrifices of praise. You are kings. You're invested with the authority to wage war on Satan, particularly through song. You are prophets. You're welcomed into God's heavenly temple to intercede on behalf of one another and on behalf of the world and to speak in song. So let's obey. If you would, pray with me. Father, we thank you that you teach and you admonish us. You call us then to hear your words, <laughs> to learn from you how to make and create and adorn your words to glorify them in songs. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that sing together in one accord your praise, reflecting upon the grace that's been given us, and help us as we seek to grow in skill and wisdom to apply your command to do this richly, abundantly. And Lord, we pray that you would bless our efforts. Lord, please hear us this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.